you've got a Bible on you, turn to a couple of places if you want. The book of Romans 8, we're going to launch from. And as I keep saying here, if you don't know where these verses are, just look it up in the contents page. There's no shame in that. Some of them will come up as well. Romans chapter 8, and also we're going to kind of, uh, kind of anchor ourselves in 2 Kings chapter 6, which is in the Old Testament. And again, that comes after 1 Kings, but look that one up in the context page. Romans chapter 8 and 2 Kings chapter 6. And uh, if you are just joining us this morning, we've been running through a kind of summer series before the year gets started uh, too, too much called God Is. Everyone say God is. God is. God is. And so what we've been doing is we've been exploring God's position toward us as believers. And you can listen to, by the way, any of these messages, at least the previous two, uh, at our, uh, on, it's been recorded, it's on the podcasts, uh, it's been podcasted. If you go to iTunes and subscribe to Aspire Church Nelson, you'll find it there. Or uh, get the link from the email update. It's actually a hidden link, but you can get it from your email update. If you're not subscribed to that, you can do that at our website. And so, and listen to those, we've been just on a bit of a series. And so, you know, the Gospels record a time when Mary and Joseph, who were Jesus' parents, his earthly parents at least, they take a, a trip to Jerusalem with a young Jesus in tow, and on the way back, you may remember the story, they, they lose him. They, they lost God. How do you do that? But they lose Jesus, and he's missing, and he's, he's nowhere to be found. And You know, many times in our lives, we can sometimes wonder where God is at in relation to him. Like, we've lost him. We just... We're just not sure of his proximity. We're not sure of his of interest in our life. Many, many of us have found those times, and, and sometimes they have a way, life does at least, of leading us to believe God's either left us or he's distant or he's disinterested in our lives. Well, I'm here to say that's just not true at all. Um, perhaps there may be times we don't feel like you've got what it takes to live this life well, or you don't have the right temperament or the right talent or the, the, the enough tenacity to do all the things that, that you want to do. And maybe you've even been wondering, you know, how interested is God in my life? Like, like how, how involved is He? How, how much does He want to be engaged in my, in my life? Well, listen, this little message series that we've been doing has very little to do with how you might feel. I'm sorry. It, 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 it doesn't have really much to do at all with how talented you, you might be, and I know there are some talented people here, but it does have everything to do with who God is, who, who He is, and, and where He's at in relation to you, and actually what He can do in your life and bring, bring to your life, because there's one set of truths that I really want you guys to get in you this year before we kind of head into, into the year then you've got to be convinced of this, that God is in you, that God is on you, that God is for you, and that He is with you. He is in me, He is upon me, He is for me, and He is with me. And in actual fact, it doesn't really matter what else is going on, what life may throw at me. I just got to know that He's in me, He's on me, He's, he's for me, and He's with me because that is some good news. And that's really going to help me. Whatever I'm going through, whatever I'm going to face, whatever's going on in my life. And so over these last couple of weeks, let me just do a quick recap. We've been reminded that if we are walking with Christ, if we've received His love and His forgiveness, that, that He's in me. 
He's in you. And he is in you for, for your sake. All right? He's, but he's, he's on me for the sake of others. Let me explain that. He's in me for me. It's selfish, I know. But God is in me for me. All right? And he's in me for my salvation. He's in me for my forgiveness. Thank you very much. He's in me for my healing and my freedom. He's in me for me. He's in you for, for you. But listen, he's on you for the same things for others. He's, he comes upon you for salvation, healing, and freedom that would come to other people. He's in me for you. For, he's, wait a minute. He's in me for me. He's in you for you. But he's, he's upon us for other people. Uh, and, and Jesus said that the spirit of the sovereign Lord is upon me. Jesus said that because he's anointed me to proclaim the good news to others, on me for others. Who were those other people? To the poor, to bring freedom for prisoners, to set the oppressed free. So it is Christ in us, the hope of glory, and Christ upon us, the hope of the world. Important things to realize, to know, if you're walking with Christ, as I said, if he's your Lord and Savior, if you've not given your life to Jesus, you'll have an opportunity to do and to do that today. I pray this will help you. The good news is, as we head into 2020, is that we have his glory in us. We have his empowerment upon us. We have his support for us and we have his presence with us. And it's important, I reckon, just to meditate on that for a little bit, just to kind of marinate in that truth and that reminder for us this year. Because as I said, whatever you might face, whatever you may be facing this year, whatever things come against you, be encouraged because God is in, on, for, and with you. Let's just pray as we jump in. Father, I thank you for your word this morning. God, I thank you that uh, you are good and you're here right now and you have something to say. And I pray that my words would be your words and that your words would be heard louder than just my stuff. I thank you for your truth getting in on the inside. And with this little bit of time that we've got left this morning, Holy Spirit, I pray that you would do work that only you can do that you would move amongst us, that you would change us from the inside out, challenge us where we need to be challenged. Give us hope and inspire us for this week ahead and this year ahead, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, Romans chapter 8. Don't go there yet, but each, each week we have been looking at the words of the Apostle Paul who writes a lot of the New Testament and it was the Apostle Paul who said for us back in week one that it was Christ in him, the hope of glory, right? And then it was also Paul who said last week where we looked at, he said he would boast in, God, in his own weakness so that Christ's power may rest upon him. So Paul's like, man, it's, it's Christ in me, the hope of glory, and I pray that Christ's power may rest upon me. And then here in Romans chapter 8, Paul's kind of talking about the the context here is all of the things that, that are going on in his life, a lot of issues that he's facing, some suffering, some trial. There's weakness there as well. And he concludes with this statement in verse 31 of Romans chapter 8. He goes, what, what should we say to, in response to all these things? 
What, what is my response to all the stuff that's going on right now in my life? The things that I'm facing, the difficulty, the, the challenge, how, how may I respond? In other words, what is a fitting reply to my life right now? Should I give up? Should, should, I, should I say, well, it all just looks completely hopeless for me, right? Let's pack it in. It's time to call it quits. Well, not Paul. He says this, and you may see it on the screens behind me. Paul, in replying, gives us another glimpse into the posture of God, another angle in the position of God toward us. He says, what shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? If God is for me, <laughs> who can be against me? If God's for me, who can be against me? If God is for us, who can be against us? If God, if God, the one who lives in me as the hope of glory, if God whose, whose spirit rests upon me, if that God is for me and he's for you this morning, if he's on my side, if he's championing me this year, if, he, if he's got my back in whatever it is I'm facing, then really... Who can be against me? Uh, who, who, can, who can be against me? And I, I love how Paul kind of weighs up these issues. He looks at everything that's going on in his life, all of the challenge and all the trial, he considers it, and then he measures it up against the weight of a God who is on his side, and he comes to this conclusion, well, you know what? The scales are tipped my way because Christ is for me. Then, wow. Who can be against me? Who can be against me? And you've got to know that this is the way that it is for us as well. This is more than just some nice encouraging words from an ancient book. It's actually truth for us today because He's in us and because He's on us. We can be assured, we can be encouraged that He's also for us. He's also for us. He, he, God's not scheming against you. God is not angry at you. He, he, he's not waiting for you to trip up so he can give you a bit of a kick when you're down. Like, oh, okay. That's not our God. That's not who he is. He's for you. And, you know, I think one of the, the biggest mistakes that we can make is living with the awareness that we have an adversary called the devil without realizing that we have an advocate called God. Right? I'm going to say that again, repetition for emphasis. One of the biggest mistakes that we can make in life when it comes to our faith, when it comes to the things that we face is, yeah, living with this awareness, yep, there is an adversary called the devil who's a liar and a destroyer of life, but we, we got to not neglect that we also, we have an advocate called God. And it was never an even match, all right? It's not like this yin and yang thing, you know? It's not an even match. God who is mighty to save. God who, who can do immeasurably more than we can ever ask or imagine. I reckon I gotta, we got to lift the faith level in this place this morning. It's God who is, who is for us. God who has our back. God who is championing us forward. God's for us. God's for us. Here's the thing. How does this kind of play out in our lives in sort of real time? And Because here's the thing. I, I understand that that it doesn't always feel that way, right? It doesn't always feel that way that, that God's for us. Sometimes it doesn't look like God's doing much or God's with us or God's on, upon me. 
And so I want to I take you this morning to a story in the Old Testament. It's in 2 Kings chapter 6, and I'm not going to read all of it, so if you can, find it in, in your Bibles. And I want to show you this morning that what we feel and even what things can look like are not always what's really going on when God is for us. I want to convince you today, and I want to remind you of the 2 Kings chapter 6. You can turn there. And for time's sake, I'm just going to summarize a little bit and give you the Wesley Smith version. Nice. Which is not, uh, not official. And so in 2 Kings, particularly around chapter 6, we read about the nation of Syria who are making war with Israel. They are enemies, and Syria are trying to obliterate them. And the king of Syria, in planning the schemes to defeat the Israelites, he's actually getting really upset because every time the Syrians plan an attack, the prophet Elisha, he hears about those plans divinely. All right? So something crazy is going on here. And then Elisha goes and tells the king of Israel what the Syrians are actually planning. And it says in verse 11 of 2 Kings 6, this won't come up on the screen, but it says, Therefore the heart of the king of Syria was greatly troubled by this thing, and he called his servants and said to them, Will you not show me which of us is for the king of Israel? In other words, he believed that there was a spy in his midst. Someone in the Syrian rank was leaking plans to Israel and telling them what they were about to do. Verse 12, it says, So his servants said to him, It's not us. We're not doing it. But Elisha, the prophet who is in Israel, who is telling the king of Israel the words that you speak in your bedroom. Oh, it's kind of freaky, isn't it? And so the king of Syria, he's like, well, that's not fair. That's, that's not right. And so he forgets about Israel for a second. He kind of just puts Israel aside and he launches a full-on attack on the house of the prophet, on Elisha. He's like, man, we've got to sort that guy out first before we go after Israel. And so it says in verse 14 that he... Is that the right passages you're reading following with this? Hopefully it is. He says in verse 14 that he finds out where Elisha is living. And, and rather than send a couple of goons around to break Elisha's legs, as you, you know, just kind of intimidate him, not just a couple of goons, but an entire army to the house of Elisha and the city where he was living. It's a little bit of an overkill, but he's really mad. And then around verse 15, I think it says, Elisha's servant, he gets up one morning as he normally does. He's up before Elisha and maybe he's going for his early morning walk and he opens the door to the house and has a bit of a stretch and he's expecting to see, I don't know, the neighbor's cat walking past or the birds chirping, but instead he is greeted by an entire army surrounding the city and he figures out that they're probably looking for him and his master. Not a great start to the day. I love how the, the Message Bible puts this and it's, it's a little understated. It says, Early in the morning, a servant of the holy man got up and went out. Surprise! Horses and chariots surrounding the city. <laughs> and so this servant of Elisha, he decides, you know what? 
I'm going to cut my walk early this morning. He gets about a foot out of the door and he just takes a foot back. He closes the door and he goes into the room of his master. He wakes up Elisha and he says, Master, you better take a look out the window because what are we going to do about that? Alas, he says, what shall we do? You can put up that slide, Second Kings 6.16. What shall we do? What are we going to do about, about that? And Elisha calmly replies to the servant as he gets up and he looks out the window and he sees the same things. Don't worry about it. Don't worry. Don't be afraid, Elisha tells him, for there are more on our side than there are on this. The servant's like, what? Huh? What, what's going on? And, and then Elisha does an interesting thing. This isn't on the screen, but it's verse 17, the very next passage. It says, Elisha prays and says, Lord, I pray, open his eyes. Open my servant's eyes that he may see. And then the Lord opened the eyes of the young man and it says that he saw, he could see what Elisha could already see outside the bedroom window and outside the front door. It says, behold, the servant says, the whole mountainside completely covered with heavenly hosts more numerous than the Syrian army. In other words, I want you to catch this. The servant caught sight of an otherwise unknown reality that God was on their side and they had nothing to fear. Amen? Amen. And the, the point of the story this morning is this. Look, Elisha didn't pray for God to change the circumstance. He didn't take away the enemy. He didn't remove the problem. He didn't evaporate in that moment the adversary. He didn't pray for the size of the problem to get smaller. Watch this. He simply prayed that the servant would see the reality of a God who was far bigger. And sometimes we just got to know, man, my problems look big. Your God is bigger. What I'm facing seems huge. God is huger, right? He's bigger than that and he's for us. He's for us too often. Come on, too often we're so intimidated by the scale of what's against us that we miss seeing the size of our God who is for us. Give someone a high five. This is good preaching. Yeah. Come on. What shall we say to these things, Paul said? If God is for us, who can be against us? If God's for me, who can be against me? There, those that are with us are more than those who are with them. And all it took was a simple little prayer to unlock a reality that we're often unaware of in our day-to-day life. That God's got your back. God has got, he's got your back. Isaiah, 50, uh, Isaiah 54 verse 10 says this, Though the mountains be shaken and the hills be moved, Isaiah, this is on the screen, I think, or should be on the screen. Though the mountains be shaken and the hills be moved, yet my unfailing love for you will not be shaken, nor my covenant of peace be removed. Psalm 121 verse 8 says, it's God who watches over your life. He watches over your coming and your going. Hebrews 13 verse 5, this may not be up there. It says, God has said, never will I leave you and never will I forsake you. Never. 
So when this, the servant's eyes were opened to this reality of a God who was for him, the, the Bible doesn't actually record his reaction. It doesn't tell us too much about what actually the servant, the servant says, but we can probably assume a couple of things. It would be fair to say when the servant first caught a glimpse of the enemy that were camped outside his building, he probably would have needed a pants change, right? I mean, we can assume that. That was probably a scary moment right there. Changes underpants, go back inside, think about things a little more. But Because sometimes what we face can be so discouraging. It can, it can leave us feeling so helpless, so at a loss, so out of options. What, what are my options, right? It can send us into a bit of a spin, into a bit of a panic. Anyone kind of been there before? Just find yourself going, man, what, what do I do right now? The things that come up against us, they appear to surround us on every side and they can make us feel so fearful, so afraid, so weak as the servant was. And that it will cause us to go back inside, to take a step backwards, to kind of shrink back into our lives, to kind of let go of all faith and ask God, what am I going to do? Well, what, sh- what shall I do? The really interesting thing here is Elisha, he didn't actually answer the servant's question. Alas, what shall I do? You notice Elisha didn't actually answer it. Elisha simply says to him, don't be afraid. Do not fear. You see, sometimes when we're facing a challenge and we want to know what we're supposed to do, it's more important for us to know what not to do. And there's a reason behind that, and I'll explain this. In in this case, don't be afraid. Listen, because fear will always have you asking the wrong questions. Fear will have you come at the situation that you're facing from the wrong angle, from the wrong perspective. Fear will have you see things. And I want to pray perspective, right perspective over us at the end of this message for the things that you may, may be facing. Fear will have you ask the wrong kind of questions. And so Elisha the prophet was not going to answer a question based out of fear. He was going to tell him what he needed not to do, not what he should do. Alas, what shall we do? Don't be afraid. Because fear will blind you to what is actually really going on. Elisha prayed, Lord, open his eyes. Open his eyes, let him look out that window again and then see what's really going on because I'm with him. So that he might realize there are more on our side than there are on theirs. Greater are those who are for us than those who are against us. It's really funny when we, it's not that funny. It's interesting (laughs) when we realize that our size of our, our problems are never bigger than the size of our ally and and that things like fear and anxiety begin to loosen their hold and we really get to realize that god's for us they begin to loosen they kind of begin to fall off fall off us when we go man i got the way to heaven behind me right god's god's for me listen he's bigger than your problem he's bigger than god is bigger than your problem he's greater than your issue he's he's stronger than that thing that you're facing Right now, I love how the, the psalmist puts it in Psalm 118, verse 6. The Lord is on my side, I will not fear. See the connection to 2 Kings 6? The Lord is on my side, 
Therefore, I will not fear what man can do to me. When I was about seven or eight years old, eight years old, I think, my mum used to let me walk home from school by myself. And, and uh, there was this older kid who used to follow me home. I think he probably lived on the same street, but I just thought he was following me on the other side of the road. And while I was eight, he was 10, a lot, lot bigger, and he was about eight foot tall. Well, it seemed like that when, I'm, when I was only eight. He was a 10-year-old. And he had all the kind of stereotypical qualities of a bully. He, he, he looked mean, and he was really good at swearing. Or at least that's what I thought. Some of his bad words were coming out of his mouth from the other side of the street. And he used to call out to me from the other side of the road. And I forget what he actually said, but he would kind of tease me and, uh, and all that kind of stuff. I've just kind of I've pushed it down, deep down inside. I forget. I really I don't know what he said to me. And I need prayer ministry, but... I used to dread walking home for that little while because uh, there was always the fear that this big bully 10-year-old would actually come across the road and do what he was threatening, right? And so, and so this went on for, I thought, probably months, but I thought about it, it was probably a couple of days. And, and I, I don't remember if I told my mum about this bully, but I do remember one afternoon my big brother, who wasn't 10, he was 12. Yeah, and he came home with me on my side uh, of, of the road. And my brother, who was 12, he was at least nine foot tall, the bully 10, eight foot, and I'm like four foot, right? So, and, and I remember walking home with my brother and suddenly this absence, the, 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 the feeling of fear was completely gone from my life. There was no fear at all, yet the bully was still walking on the other side of the road because my brother, who was on my side, was bigger than the bully who was on the other side. My brother, I knew that he was, he was with me, he was for me, and I had nothing to worry about what was coming at me on the other side of, of the road. You see, when we understand that God's for us, when we start to confess, and it's really important that we convince ourselves through confession and declaration, when we begin to stand on the promise of God who is for us, it's interesting how all of that negative emotion begins to loose its grip on our life. And, you know, because in adversity, it's far easier to see the things that are against us than to see who's for us. And it's like our perspective gets a little skewered, right? Gets a little off, unhinged. If we can walk out our faith with the understanding that not only is He in me, that's great. Thank you, God, for your forgiveness. Thank you for your grace. Not only is he upon me, God, I thank you for your empowerment that I can reach others, but he's also on my side. It's amazing how our perspective can change. In our, in our story this morning, when Elisha's servant, he took that second look out the window. He saw the army of God at his defense. I bet those Syrian soldiers wouldn't have looked so big, so intimidating when he saw that army of angels there's another story in the old testament don't don't turn there many of you will know about it in the book of numbers about the 12 hebrew spies who were sent out by moses to check out the promised land to scout it out the land which god had promised them and it says upon their return these 12 spies come back but 10 of these spies they bring a negative report right a damning report on what they saw and they talk about the size of the enemy. They're huge. We're like grasshoppers in this site. The, the city is fortified. We're never going to do it. And it gives them a good reason to stay away. 
You know the story, two of those 12 men, Caleb and Joshua, they come back and they're full of faith and they're sure about their chances saying that actually we've seen the exact same thing, but we've come to a different conclusion that we are well able to overcome the enemy, even though they are large, even though the city is fortified. It's just so interesting how you can get such a different perspective from the same situation. The difference was that Caleb and Joshua knew that God was for them. And we can look at life often. We can look at our problems. We can look at the issues and they can seem insurmountable. They can look too big to overcome. Whether it may be a battle in the mind for you this morning or anyone listening today. Maybe maybe it's an unhealthy habit that you're trying to kick this year. Maybe there's relationship problems in your your marriage. Maybe it's work stresses. Maybe it's a health issue. You've got to understand that God is for you and He's actually bigger than than that thing. He's bigger than that problem you're facing. In fact, listen, there is no problem, no sin issue, no sickness, no relationship issue that Jesus cannot help you overcome. And we have got to get revelation of this. And I'm preaching to myself this morning. He's not God, is not out to get us. He can help us and that we can face any issue with confidence. Come on up, Caitlin. That'd be great if you could start playing. Most of us, if we think about our lives, maybe right now we can think of things that we have faced in the past, perhaps a challenge where it did look like there's just, I don't know if there's a way out of this. You, you know, you, you can't see past the problem. Has anyone been there before? You just go, man, I don't, I don't know. I don't know what, what tomorrow brings. But you can sit here today for those ones who've had that experience and you can go, huh. I, I got through it. I'm here. I actually, I actually got through it. You see, the enemy's greatest weapon, if you will, or his tool, is to spread hopelessness. It's to, it's to infect us with the sense that there's no way out. That's what the devil does. There's no way through this. Oh, it's going to be bad. But Elisha knew that despite what he faced on the outside, that God was for him. His future was actually okay. It went beyond this little obstacle of an angry army outside his doors. I, on the other hand, have a tendency to panic a little bit. I can relate more to the servant than I can the man of God, I'm ashamed to say. I have this tendency to kind of fret a little bit. Do you know what? Hopelessness is defined as having no expectation of good or success. When we feel hopeless, we're actually shutting the door to the possibilities of God. I reckon that's how Elisha's servant would have felt. I've certainly felt that way sometimes. But you've got to know, friends and anyone listening this morning, that hopelessness is a lie. Hopelessness is a lie. We, we are neither hopeless and nor is our situation when God is on our side. You've got to know, when we truly understand that, that God's for us, we will see that nothing can separate us from Him and we're in good hands because He's for us. Elijah prayed over his servant that God may open his eyes up to the truth of actually what was really going on and what was, what was around him. The reason that he prayed that prayer above any other prayer was because Elisha knew that it was far easier in adversity to see the things that are against us than it is to see who's for you. So much easier. The prayer to open his eyes to get the right perspective was 
just the right thing to do because he knew I can't get him to see from your perspective God he's not going to see this he's not going to he's going to miss this he's going to be full of hopelessness just change the way he sees things when we find ourselves in a stressful situation I'm nearly done this morning we just lose perspective so quickly and all sometimes all rationale goes out the window have you ever ever said when you're feeling lonely man nobody loves me I got no friends, you know, when you've blown the budget for like the third time in the week, you're like, man, we've never got any money. We, we can't do this. When you've tripped up for like the third time in a month, you've made another mistake. You say to yourself, I always stuff up. It's usually not true. You're just overwhelmed with negative feelings. And that therefore is all that you see. We see the size of the enemy and not the size of the opportunity. And the greatest thing that we can ask God actually is not necessarily for his strength because he's already promised us that. We don't have to always pray for things he's already given us. But we pray for his perspective because that's all Elisha needed. He needed to get some perspective to see the truth, the truth that God was for him. And I want to pray that over us this morning and over you and your situation, your circumstance. I don't know what's going on. Why don't we stand just as we bring this to a close. Just while every head is bowed and eyes closed, if you're comfortable to do that, oh, the lights are out too. Maybe this morning you're facing something. You're facing an obstacle. You're facing a challenge. You're facing a trial. You're facing a situation that kind of seems hopeless right now. You're looking at life and you're not sure how you're going to get through the next day or what to do. You're overwhelmed with what looks like an enemy larger than you can imagine. Maybe there's things that you're believing that you know aren't true, but you can't seem to break through from that lie. I want to pray in just a moment that we get perspective, that we get perspective, that God will open our eyes to see an army of angels that are on our side. But if that, that's you this morning, I'm not going to get you to do anything more than just give me a wave of your hand. If you need some perspective this morning, if you need a bit of a perspective change, just give me a nice big wave of your hand. That's cool. It's cool. A lot of us today. Thank you, God. Thank you, Jesus. Sometimes, God, what we see and what we feel isn't true. Sometimes what we feel and what we see might be true, but it's not the full picture. Sometimes what we feel and what we see may be happening, but God, there's more happening than we realize. And so I pray right now, and I ask you, Holy Spirit, to do the convincing, to do the reminding, and most of all, to do the opening of the eyes, to get the perspective, just like Elisha's servant. Master, what am I going to do? Alas, what am I going to do? God, I pray, open our eyes so that we may see a God who is far, far bigger than our enemy, than our challenge, than our adversary than the things that are going on around us.
let us see how big you are and how you're on our side. I thank you right now. I pray right now, right now, right now, wherever there is hopelessness, wherever there is feelings of hopelessness and thoughts of hopelessness, wherever there is feelings of giving up, God, feelings that the door is shut, God, I come against that in Jesus' name, and I release the hope of God, hope to come in, hope to come into minds, hope to come into hearts. Father, I pray for the, for the kicking in of the Spirit of God right now, whatever it is that is needed, whether our minds need convincing. God, I break every lie in Jesus' name over hopeless minds. God, where there is healing needed, God, I pray against every kind of sickness and I release, Lord, your healing now in Jesus' name. Wherever there is a relationship issue, God, I pray, Father, for reconciliation, the spirit of reconciliation now in Jesus' name. Where there is lack, Lord God, I thank you now for your provision, Lord, in Jesus' name, that we should not be found wanting, that our cup would be full to overflowing. I pray in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. We thank you, God. We thank you, Lord, that you're for us. And if you're for us, who can be against us? If you're with us, God, then who can be against us? Lord, show us that there are more, there's more of heaven on our side than there is on the other. I pray in Jesus' name.